Hey, I, uh, I, I don't do this often, uh, but I'd like to do it now if I could. Um, could I just gush for a few minutes uh, on this church? And I don't want you to like take this. The, the preacher fears that I would do this and that you would become prideful. Um, but we're a fairly humble group, and of course, that's the thing of pride as well. But, but can I just say how proud I am of this church? Um, we had this staff retreat uh, down at the beach, so, you know, it, it wasn't as bad as it seems. And the way the staff loves you and, and prays for you and, and thinks about you, and, and then I went right from that. I, I think I spent 10 days not in my own bed. I went right from that to the ski trip. And the youth of this church are phenomenal. Uh, they cared for each other. They laughed. They didn't have their phones, although some of them snuck them in, including my own kids, because I can track their phones, and they had them on campus, so I found that out. So we had that conversation. But the rest of the youth, besides my kids, are phenomenal really amazing people. We had a question and answer period, and in the question and answer period, they asked me about the Nephilim. Uh, They're reading their Bibles. We're journeying through Scripture together, and they're all doing it. They're all reading their Bibles. 10th graders, you know, 11th graders, 12th graders, all reading their Bibles together. We had a bunch of funerals recently, and the way that this church has cared for each other, absolutely unbelievable. I I get to see parts of this church that probably you don't. The things where people behind the scenes, the way they love and care for each other. Uh, We had that snow weekend and uh, Horace preached. And he did a phenomenal job, did he not? He was, uh, to preach your first sermon to an empty room just to a camera, so hard. In your second language, And to honor Christ the way he did. And the way our staff thought through that whole weekend was just unbelievable. We're going to hopefully vote in uh, officers, elders, and deacons today. And these men have gone through training and they're giving their lives to serve this church and it's humbling. 96% of people fulfilled their pledge to the campaign. Do you know the high watermark statistically for all churches is 80%. And as of today, we're completely debt-free as a church. We have, yeah. We have zero debt. Church, academy, facilities, land, building, anything. We're not promising we're always going to stay that way. Uh, But as of right now... We're going to enjoy that with no plans anywhere in the future to incur more debt. And I'm just absolutely thrilled. The choir showed up yesterday to Merle Smith's funeral and sang beautifully. They sang a 90s pop song for Merle. It was wonderful. They swayed a little bit. And uh, I, every now and then, I think we just need to be thankful. Uh, we could be in a country where we don't have a church or we have to meet in basements. And uh, instead, we're here. And I'm just filled with gratitude today. So thank you for letting me take that pastoral privilege. 
there's just a lot of newness. And uh, as we get to this text, that's the whole theme of this text is newness of Christ and the newness that comes with knowing God. So let me read. I'll read all of Genesis chapter 17, uh, 1 through 14. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations, and I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you in the nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I'll give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you, throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Three things that uh, the Lord gives us in this text. First of all, he gives us a new name. Secondly, a new mission. And then a new identity. First of all, he gives us a new name. Names matter, especially in the Bible. Uh, I don't know if you know, but all names have meanings. For example, my name is uh, Andrew, technically, which means technically, strong and manly, which I'm sure you knew just from seeing me. But Andrew means strong manly. All names have some type of meaning. And sometimes people will actually rename themselves because they want a new start. I've had two family members do that, Elizabeth's brother and Elizabeth's stepsister, both when they went to college and once when they graduated college, renamed themselves. They used a different name. Uh, because they wanted a fresh start. And we see all kinds of new names uh, throughout the scriptures. You get a new name. You get a new name if you have a grandkid, right? Nobody, nobody's going to call me Andy when I'm a grandparent. They're going to call me something else, Papa or whatever they're going to call me. I don't know. But you get a new name when you're a grandparent. You get a new name typically when you get married. You're, uh, I, I don't think I've ever called Elizabeth Elizabeth. I call her something else. I call her babe. And she calls me something else. You get a new name when you get married, and that's just the way it works. It's a new identity. It's a new mission. It's a new value that you have. Uh, Saul went from Paul. Simon Peter went to Peter, the rock. And here Sarai goes to Sarah, and Abram goes to Abraham. 
Abram means high father. But Abraham means the father of the multitudes. And here he is. He's got a new calling, a new mission with his new name. He comes before the Lord and he falls on his face. That's the first thing we we see. And he says, I am God Almighty. Walk before me blameless. And look at verse 3. Abraham fell on his face and he said, behold, my covenant is with you. You now have established this new covenant with me, and I now have this new name where I get to follow you, and you're calling me the father of the multitudes, but I don't even have a kid yet. And God's calling him to that. The first thing I want to establish today is this, that God actually knows your name. He knows you personally. And as, a, as we see in Revelation chapter uh, 2 and Isaiah chapter 6, he's going to give you a new name in the new heavens and the new earth, one that will be known by you and by you alone. But we see a very, very personal God. He knows what you're going through. He knows what your struggles are. He knows your doubts. He knows your fears. He knows your sins. He knows everything about you. And he loves you. And he cares for you. And wherever you are in life, like Abraham, this person who was called to have the father of the nations, called to to have all of these children, the the children of the promise, as they're going to be called in the New Testament in Galatians, God knows wherever you are, where you are, and there's no such thing as a little person in a little place. Francis Schaeffer Uh, wrote a great sermon years ago called No Little People, No Little Places, and I read it every January. And in it, he says this. If a Christian is consecrated, does this mean that he will be in a big place instead of a little place? The answer is the next step is very important. There are no little people in God's sight, and there are no little places in God's sight. To be wholly committed to God in the place where God wants you to be is the way, is, this is how the creature is glorified. First, we should seek the lowest place because there it is easier to be quiet before the face of the Lord. Quietness and peace before God are more important than any influence or position may seem to give. For we must stay in step with God to have the power of the Holy Spirit. In other words, wherever you are, In tomorrow morning, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, wherever you find yourself, God's there with you, and there's no such thing as a little place or a little person. God gives us a new name. So let me just ask you this. How do you think of yourself? Do you think of yourself as God claiming you and and God establishing his mission on you? It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. I'm just going to stop there for a second because I want, I want that to sit in your heart. If you're a Christian, I don't assume everybody in this room is a Christian. But if you're a Christian, you're a new creation. You're new. Like right now. You don't have to get somewhere to be new. You don't have to have something developing you to be new. You are a new creation now that God is working in your heart. Do you think of yourself that way? Or are you labeling yourself with other names? I'm a failure. 
I'm a doubter. Uh, I'm a problem child. I'm a prodigal. Uh, I'm, a, you know, I'm somebody who can't get my act together. No, if you're a Christian, you're a new creation now. He gives us a new name. Then he gives us a new mission. Verse 7 and 8. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you through their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your offspring after you. And I'll give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Cana for an everlasting possession, and I will be your God. In other words, I'm going to take you on now this, this call to adventure. And you're going to have to sojourn Abraham. And you're going to have to go through all these trials. But I'll be with you the whole time. But now you have this new mission. Not only do you have a new name, but you have a new mission. There's a temptation in life to think that one day we'll arrive, right? In high school, uh, for me it was this. Uh, when I'm finally as popular as John Barrett, uh, when I'm finally as athletic as this guy, when I'm finally as good-looking as this guy, when I finally am as well-known as this person, then I will have arrived. In, in your 20s, it changes. Once I get established, I, I buy my first home, then I will have arrived. Once I get my kids, then I will have arrived. Once I get my kids out of the house, then I will have arrived. <laughs> Once I get to be able to retire, then I will have arrived. Once I get this lake house, then I will, be ha- I will have arrived at that point. It's a, just a lie. Uh, what God wants to do is send you on a mission and be with you throughout life. It's the land of your sojournings. Probably the best 15 minutes of the month for me, every month, is when... Down that hall, I see all the widows coming in for lunch. Do you all know once a month the widows of this church meet and have lunch together? And I get to go in there and hug them. And they're all sojourning together. It's not where they want to be. The first time I didn't know what they were doing, the first time I went in there and I said, "Uh, can I join this group these y'all are phenomenal and uh, the person said who's in this room said no Andy you can't ever join this group which I'm not used to that (laughs) and I said why and she said we're widows and we don't want you to join this group I said I agree but I get to go in there and hug them and see them and they're all sojourning together It's their mission in life now to figure out how to be a godly widow and how to live without your husband in this life. Look, we're all called to some kind of journey. We're all called to sojourn. We're all called to go through this life together, just like Abraham was. And when one person kind of passes away like Merle Smith did just yesterday, when we celebrated his life somebody else has to take up the banner and the banner is not a banner of power it's a banner of the banner over me is love like it says in song of solomon's that god loves me wherever i am in my pilgrimage so our mission friends is to repent and our mission is to walk through this life as the chief of repenters loving the lord following him all the days of our lives It's the call that Abraham, it's the call that we had. And then lastly, it's a new identity. 
If you look in verse 9, we see all of this language about circumcision, uh, which was the covenant in the Old Testament, which signifies that our life is both public and private. Circumcision, I'm going to talk about this hopefully in a non-graphic way. I know we have different ages and stages in this room, uh, but it's good to talk about. It's a biblical theme. Circumcision, actually the word peritemeo, uh, means cutting around the place of honor. And if you think about this, what God is asking Abraham to do is, I want you to be the father of all the nations. Now, trust me with the most intimate part of you that you need to make that happen. Uh, trust me with the most intricate part of you and, and allow me to sanctify even that. Allow me to cut around and to sanctify and to consecrate this part of you because it's not your ability, it's me that has to do the work. In other words, I'm going to give you a new identity. Now, anybody that comes into your household, whether bought into your household, whether sojourner, whether foreigners, or whether born of your household, is going to have this identity. In the Old Testament, it's circumcision. In the New Testament, it's baptism. But ultimately, what God's saying is, now you belong to me. Now you're consecrating yourself to me. And now you're showing all of this world that you belong to the one who's going to give you life by giving yourself to me. It's actually a very beautiful picture. Identity is a big deal uh, in this day and age, is it not? I mean, I'm sure most of you have watched uh, all the things going on with the transgender swimmer. And for non-believers... Identity is the new religion where you get to claim something and then everybody has to bow down to you and to worship whatever you claim. So it's actually becoming, for non-believers, the identity issue is actually becoming a completely new religion. Uh, C.S. Lewis says it this way. He says, of all tyrannies, a tyranny sincerely exercised for the good of its victim may be the most oppressive. It may be better to live under robber barons than, uh, I'm sorry, under robber barons, uh, thank under omnipotent, there must be a word missing there, omnipotent moral busybodies. The robber baron's cruelty may sometimes sleep. His cupidity may at some point be satiated. But those who torment us for our own goodwill torment us without end, for they do so with the approval of their own conscience. So there is a sense where for non-believers it's becoming what you're identifying with is becoming a new religion. However, for believers, it's becoming the new temptation. What we identify with rather than with the death and the resurrection of Christ. Are we going to try to identify with a political party? Are we going to try to identify ourselves with power? Are we trying to identify ourselves with popularity? Or are we willing to identify ourselves with the death and resurrection of Christ? That's what baptism is. Let me put a finer point on that. Over the last two years, how much did you think about politics or COVID? Let's just use those two. How much did you read articles about COVID and form an opinion of what you thought and then uh, relegated other people who disagreed with you to the sidelines? How much time did you spend doing that? 
How much time did you spend thinking about politics? Watching news about politics? Like, get a number in your head. 40 hours over the last two years? 50 hours? 2,000 hours? Like, literally, how much time was your identity wrapped up in that? Now, think about this. How much time over the last two years did you think about how to make a disciple? Did you think about how to love your neighbor? How much time did you give to that? Five hours? 20 hours? 40 hours? As much time as you gave to the other identity that you established in your life? It's the new temptation for the believer. The new temptation to establish ourselves as having some kind of identity that is not the identity of Christ. Because we see in Romans chapter 6, we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism. And like we said, in the Old Testament, it's circumcision. In the New Testament, it's baptism. We're buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we, too, might walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united with him in death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. So our identity is, God, this morning, how can I sacrifice? How can I crucify? How can I put to death the sins of this body in order that I can walk in newness of life? That's what we give our minds to. That's what we give our energy to. That's what we give our time to. How can I love my neighbor the way that you've called me to? How can I love you the way that you've called me to? That's our identity. To live in the cruciformed life with the death and the resurrection. In other words, to improve our baptism. We talk about this quite a bit uh, when we baptize a child. Uh, we'll often say you are called to improve your baptism, but we don't often talk about what that means. Westminster Larger Catechism tells us, it says, how is our baptism to be improved by us? And the answer, the needful but much neglected duty of improving our baptism is to be performed by us all our life long, especially in the time of temptation. And then it tells us how. By being humbled for our sinful defilement, by growing up to assurance of a pardon of sin, by drawing strength from the death and resurrection of Christ. Drawing strength from that for ourselves to go through the same process. By endeavoring to live by faith, to have our conversation in holiness and righteousness. Let's go back to that last slide. By drawing from strength, death and resurrection, by endeavoring to live by faith, to have our conversation in holiness and righteousness. That to improve our baptism means that every conversation that we're having privately or publicly, is one of holiness and righteousness and tend to walk in brotherly love as being baptized by the same spirit into one body. The circumcision of Abraham in his offspring, this uh, place of intimacy, would become baptism for us as believers, and it becomes our identity, which is why when Christ is baptized, the heavens open up, and his identity is this. This is my son who I love, 
and with whom I'm well pleased. And that's where I want to end. You, you may not believe this, but this is what I preached to the high school students. God actually delights in you. I know half of you in this room don't believe that. But he loves you deeply. As I told that, you have to make it relevant to the high school kids. So to the high school kids, I said, if God had an iPhone, which is an absurd thought, your picture would be his screensaver. Because he loves you. And he delights in you. Like when the heavens opened up and he said, this is my son who I love. And with him I'm well pleased. Now that son's righteousness, because of the death and resurrection, gets attributed to you. So when God the Father looks at you, he sees you as a son or as a daughter with whom he is well pleased. And you know what that makes you? A child of Abraham. One of the promise. Who God has covenanted with. Who God's always going to be faithful to. Because he loves you. He cherishes you. And he can't wait to be with you. There's newness when you walk with Christ. You get a new name. You get a new mission. And you get a completely new identity of following him. As it says in Galatians 3, for as many of you were baptized into Christ, you put on Christ. And now, if you are Christ, you're Abraham's offspring, heirs according to his promises. So let's be thankful we get to worship this great God. In the name of Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Father, we pray that we would believe the truths we're We're tempted not to believe the promise that you love us. But you have said, I'm showing my love to you. I'm sending my son, my only son, to be the sacrifice so that you might know me. God, you make good on your promises. You told Abraham he was going to be a father of the nations when he was barren. And yet we and... 2022 are sitting here in the east side of Greenville as the children of Abraham because you've made good on it. You've been faithful to your covenant. Father, we, I just love that you rename us in the new heavens and the new earth. And while we're here, you give us a mission to walk with you wherever we sojourn to honor and to glorify you. And you tell us to identify with you your death and with your resurrection, to die to ourselves, to sacrifice ourselves out of love, to put to death our sins so that we might walk in newness of life. And so, Father, I pray this week you just make us a thankful people a group of people that want nothing more than to live, to work, to play, to enjoy, to do everything we do with and for and through you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.